This is Escape from the Burnout Society, a podcast dedicated to prevent and overcome chronic stress and burnout. It is also a dialogue with many experts around the world in the fields of health, mindset and lifestyle. I hope you enjoy it. Check for more information on our website www.escapeburnoutsociety.com Welcome, welcome to Escape from the Burnout Society podcast. I am your host, Gabriela Guzman, and today my guest is Dr. Simon Maltes. Dr. Simon Maltes is an active cardiac surgeon in one of the world's largest providers of healthcare services. Board certified from Canada, served as a previous vice chair of the Mayo Clinic. He has a doctorate degree in biomedical engineering and heart regeneration. He is an internationally recognized leader in the field of heart transplantation, mechanical heart devices, and alternative cardiac interventions. With all this success, he was forced to step uh, to take a step back, knowing he had to make significant personal and professional changes. Simon set out to find a comprehensive and organized way to get back on track, and now he leads a newly created physician-driven effort that is committed to mentor professionals of all fields functioning in high intensity and high demanding workplaces. Simon is also the author of the acclaimed book called Healthcare Anonymous, Put Yourself First to Avoid Anxiety, Addiction and Burnout. Simon, you are very welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Gabrielle. appreciate the invitation. Well, that was an impressive. <laughs> Hmm. Uh, work experience. So where we're going to start, Simon, I, I guess we should start um, uh, with what brought you to uh, write your book. That would be one of the topics we're going to uh, to talk about. But I would really like would like to know your personal experience in such a demanding profession as yours. Right. Well, thank you. Um, you know, it, it was um, it, all, it it didn't come from one day to the other. I. You know, I was always uh, perfect. Was always a uh, a word that sort of resonated um, from early childhood, where everything has to be had to be perfect, whether it was school, or sports, or um, you know, relationships. Um, and it wasn't necessarily uh, put on me by my parents or anything. It was something I sort of built up around myself. Um, and so, uh, perfectionism really helped me get to uh, you know professional. Heights where um, you know I I, I think I I was able to get at the level of my profession where I wanted to be um, uh, was married um, had kid and um, I guess everything from the outside seemed to be going pretty well um, but there was this sense of of um, separation or disconnect from um, from from happiness and. Um, and then eventually, I have started myself to experience uh, over you know, two or three year period. It was subtle, but it started to be uh, pretty present. A series of failures, whether it was uh, professional, professional, personal, and really, quite frankly, did not know how to deal with it, um, and and dealt with it with uh, unhealthy behaviors, uh, whether it was drinking alcohol or. Um, seeking, you know, sensations or even just, um, um, 
even not recognizing that something was wrong. And, uh, and basically at some point just hit rock bottom. And one of the ways that I found to uh, start talking about this and, and maybe find a way to get better was to think about myself first, but also opening up to people and start talking about some of these issues. And um, doing that, then I realized I wasn't alone. <laughs> and um, and um, in that situation, and, and not only just in cardiac surgery, but in various domains, whether it's nursing or um, uh, whether it's nursing or general practitioners or even other uh, milieu, you know, uh, sports and things like that. And so um, I just felt that I needed to speak about it and, um, and started writing. It started to be more of a pet project. Um, uh, where I woke up every morning at five and wrote 1500 words, you know, of just thoughts and, and processes and things that I thought would help me. And then uh, at some point it came all together and I said, well, I guess we can make this a book. <laughs> uh, and, and I, and I got very interested with human processes and, and the way we end up where we are. And, uh, and here I am with, uh, I mean, I can't believe I wrote the book. I was just reading again this morning, this advanced reader's copy and, uh, and it's still a bit uh, unreal, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs> so how long did it take to um, <clears throat> make this compilation of thoughts and writings? Yeah, I think over 18 months, two years, you know, 18 months, um, just reaching out to people, uh, here, meeting with people, interviewing people in, in, the, in the field and getting their thoughts and stories about it. And then put it all together and, and started to be more of a, say, more of a pet project, but then they got, uh, catch the attention of, of media and publisher. And so then I, I had to, of course, rewrite it all together <laughs> to make it, you know, to make it kind of fit and things. Um, and I had written a lot of papers before and, um, and, uh, and this is complete different sort of naked uh, way of writing where, um, it's not science. It's not hidden behind, you know, data and things. It's it's really sort of a raw um, uh, striptease of myself, which is uh, which is not a very comfortable, um, you know, situation for especially a heart surgeon or somebody that you know is like me. But um, again, I, I it was it took about two years, I'd say, altogether. And it's still, we're still fine tuning it, but it's, it's, um, it's, uh, yeah, it came together. So we can say you put your heart in it. Yeah, it's an open heart book. It's for sure. Different type of open heart. <laughs> yeah. That sounds great. Um, just tell me, uh, Simon, I mean, um, there are many people who have these challenges when you have a profession that it's tearing you apart, literally. And your way of, of, getting um on track again was actually writing am i right yeah in some ways it was writing uh it was um opening up about it um it was really i, I talk about this i talk about a recovery program and actually some of the steps that have helped me uh writing is one but um but taking a pause you know everything it goes so so fast right so that um, you know, you do surgeries and you have to do another one the next day. Uh, you have to go to clinic. Uh, you have to come to your family and, and your father. You have to deal with life challenges. And so a lot of things sort of start building up where you don't really find time to assess where you're at and why do you feel that void, right? Why do you 
need to fill that void with with for me it was alcohol or woman or other sort of um, other sort of uh, behaviors and so um, and so taking a pause to me was probably I would say the most valuable thing I did um, meaning I mean I was involved with a lot of committees a lot of uh, publications a lot of activities in outside and outside the hospital and from one day to the other, whether it's because I hit rock bottom or uh, because I just couldn't go any further, I just sent out an email to all these things and said, okay, from today, I'm sorry about the consequence to this, but I'm stepping down as the president of this, as the committee of that, as the, and, um, and then uh, left a job that I liked. It wasn't all like me, it was a bit of both, um, but, and I talk about this in the book, but it was a, um, blessing in disguise in the end for me to take a big break on 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 certain doing surgery every day and um and and stepping back a little bit to say well is this what i like is this how i like it uh, how does it influence my my things and so taking a pause is probably the most important thing and um and i still do it now now i'd say i'm ready to get back on on getting busier perhaps with work not that busy but busier um, but then control it so I can do other things. And so, and so, yeah, the book was a bit of a therapy. It still is, uh, as I'm sort of getting invited on these media tour or podcasts and things talking about it. And, um, and if I, if I can, you know, provide one person to get better or insight into their career, I, you know, the book will have, um, you know, accomplish its goal. Right. And, uh, what was the, um reaction of your uh, close environment? I mean, not only friends and family, but also at work. What, what were they saying to your yeah, decision of st stopping all these activities? You know, that it wasn't always uh, clear at the moment, but um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I know some people were disappointed. I know some people did not understand it. I know some people were relief, you know, because when relief in the way that if you're Remember this place I was at where we I think I could have had a good career, but we uh, transitioned in my career, but we were at odds with with work, with the culture and the department and things. And and that went on for you know a good six months where we were sort of you know communicating by email or very sort of defensive. And and I think that when I decided to say, well, I'm not I'm leaving, I'm not suing, I'm, or they finally made a decision to say it's not a good fit or I think there was some relief, you know, and life's sort of too short to be always angry or, you know, there's a, there's a scenario where you just get up in the morning and it's over, you know, you don't think about it all the time. And so that's also a lesson I've learned through all this. Um, and then I think you realize that doing these, this uh, exercise, who are your friends, right? Who, who's, who, who are the people that stick around? And, um, and that was because it's not always nice, right? You're sometimes you're depressed. Sometimes you're, uh, angry. A lot of times you're questioning yourself, um, reaching out to people. I'm sort of an outgoing person. So I tend to call people and ask for advice and, you know, sort of share stuff. And that was part of my therapy. And so, but you realize who are the people that love you. And that, that's probably one of the stronger things that, that I got out of this is, um, you know, it really cleaned out people around me, you know, not in a bad way, but, just the good relationships that I needed to nurture just uh, surfaced. And so um, 
So there was a mixed emotions, mixed feelings. Um, I think now people are with the book, with sort of my now life interests are seeing a bit the um, the intent. And that at the time wasn't obvious, but now um, now things are a bit more clear into what was the intent of taking a pause or sort of shutting everything down like this. Yeah, great. Do you agree with me that some, I, I have, um, I've interviewed many women, by the way, you have few men in my, in my oh, guest right? list. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and uh, I read, yeah, but I read once that women tend to have higher levels of burned out and men had higher levels of depression. Yeah. Uh, there's a theory behind that, but I don't know if you have heard the same and what do you absolutely. think about that? Yeah, absolutely. And we do have, um, I mean, the challenges are different. And I guess I'm not a woman, but uh, I've, I've functioned in environments where I have, I have a lot of friends that have, you know, function in the same environments as I do. My wife's a cardiologist. And so she's, she knows what it, what it is like to function in a man's world, um, especially in cardiology and heart surgery and things. And so, um, I think the challenges are different. I think the uh, the pressure of society into what a conventional household looks like um, is, uh, you know, with the mother and the father and who works, who doesn't, is still out there even in 2021. Um, medicine tends to be, and healthcare environment tends to be a bit slower into adapting the changes. I think business and tech a bit further, a bit more forward. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, cultural things that are still ingrained into our healthcare environment that makes it harder for um, women to function in that environment. And, and, and I can't imagine, if, if I was burned out at some point or depressed, I can't imagine the amount of stress that perhaps some, some women feel in, the, in, in, the environment, in that environment. And it's not always just the environment, it's the patient's perspective I number of times my wife would tell me and I and I actually experienced this as well I was a student medical student or resident kind of tall six foot two six foot three um, but um, but oftentimes the if I would come with an attending who was a woman um, the patient would turn to me to get the uh, what what you know what's the plan here you know and I would just try to sort of gaze back at her and say, well, she's, she's sort of the boss. So, <laughs> I don't, I don't, you know, but, but you would think it's not happening, but it is. And, um, and so, and so I think there is a difference. Um, there is, uh, I talk about it in the book, we have an invited doctor who specializes in burnout, a woman who speaks out. I think uh, the, uh, there's still some uh, environments where it's harder. The, the rate of suicide is, is difficult. The, is different too, and the reasons for it are different too. So um, I think society hasn't really quite dig yet into how to make that better, uh, especially when it comes to um, to that difference. But uh, extending it to other cultures, I think being an African American and other cultures in in healthcare is different. Um, being a white male uh, in heart surgery and trying to talk about burnout and depression and empathy is certainly a, not a, a usual sort of um, usual sort of path. And so um, there's still a lot of things out there. <laughs> exactly. That, that was my question. It's quite, quite a, a brave move um, to open up and talk about these topics. Um, 
Now I would like to know more about your environment. I mean, how are your colleagues doing? Because you say, I'm not the only one. So tell me how big it's it is. Tough. It's tough. You know, the, the, and I don't want to talk about COVID and we don't talk about COVID a whole lot in the book. If it is to mention that it has um, created even more of a uh, resilience gap in, um, and, uh, and I say I use resilience gap because, um, because it's so long. It's not a like, you know, we talk about resilience and being the ability to shift around and adapt. And that sometimes is related to an acute moment or acute point in time. But this is going on for two years. And, um, and I, I think it forces people to change, uh, forces people to think about their life just because of the time it takes to get better, you know? And, um, and the healthcare has changed. It has, is more now driven by um, administration and numbers and percentages than it used to be. Um, and so that combined with a crisis, combined with a resilience uh, gap, is it, certainly hard on people. And I see a lot of, since I started to open up, I, I had emails, I had phone calls of people talking, saying I'm experiencing the same thing. What do I do? How did you do it? And, and they want to change, but, you know, I, I take personally, you know, perhaps the, the side of physicians, the, um, it's hard for a physician to move away from it. And uh, we actually have a stepwise uh, chapter where we talk about how to move away from being a physician or healthcare. Um, and it's not easy. And because you do have a certain, you know, society uh, level, as a society recognition, there's money to it. Um, there's also a history you've studied for, I don't know, 20 years, 15 years. Why would you leave it all behind now when you're 40, you know? Um, and for some people, that would be that will be the solution. We have we have heart surgeons in the book that have studied and moved because of burnout to completely different profession. Uh, I have nurses that have, have talked during during COVID. They just can't do it anymore. And the tragedy is that the physician is at the middle of it, or the healthcare worker, but the patients are. And 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 the way I see it is, if you have a specialized nurse or somebody that has been in the emergency room for 20 years taking care of patients that because of many reasons, systems, burnout, just overall uh, tiredness decides to leave and she's 40, do something else. Well, that's another perhaps 30 years of, of treatment or services that she could have provided the highest level to, to, her, to patients. And so that's the tragedy, losing losing expertise and we're only seeing the, the tip of it because um because now the, the people are qualified as heroes but um because they you know helped during the covid pandemic and everything but um but we will see pretty soon now and we're all we saw we saw it in different places in the united states where hospitals are closed departments are closed people are laid off um, so um, to, to recuperate money from this pandemic. And so the consequences of it, while we're dealing with the acute problem of it, you know, the, the virus, the consequences on the patients and on the healthcare system as a whole, we will deal with for the next five to 10 years, just because of the repercussions it has on the workforce. And so um, I, hate, I like to be half optimistic about it. Um, people that will strive and survive through this will likely have to adapt in a different way with you know sort of hybrid work ability to work from home flexibility investing into it as opposed to sort of cutting back on resources 
Um, and, and that will take a huge shift, um, you know, from, from, from what we're seeing now. Well, let's imagining that there are enough resources again. I mean, that we are a few years away from the pandemic and that everything looks a little bit more normal. Um, what do you think would be the best uh, set from institutions in the healthcare to just get things right for all the people, professionals that have to deal with all this and yeah, that can get burned out? Yeah, I think the uh, um, I think the awareness is one thing. So the education on the problem is probably the first step. And and we in the book describe um, burnout or depression or addiction or whatever it is as an end result of something. It's not because you're sending a healthcare professional to a you know uh, angry school or uh, you know burnout sort of rehab that you really solve the program. You, you mostly just check boxes for your human resources department to say, we've done something about it. Now it's back on him to make it better, you know? And, um, <clears throat> and then realizing that's an end result of something of a misadapted um, interaction with, um, with the system. And so putting things in place so that we educate people earlier, um, that we put things in place to make life better in departments. And for all departments and, and, and systems, it's different. It could be a gym, it could be better food, it could be um, you know meditation session, gratitude, whatever it is um, that perhaps the individuals need, uh, maybe providing extended care for uh, a child to be, to, for babysitting child in the, in the, uh, in the hospital, maybe providing some relief uh, genes, you know, Friday or whatever it is, flexibility into, into, um, into the work can be accomplished from home versus on site, uh, flexibility for physicians to be working more efficiently. I mean, there's, there's this notion that you have to be in the hospital as a doctor every day, but I can tell you that at least 50% of my time is, is as a heart surgeon is hanging out at the cafeteria and uh, in my office waiting for patients to come. And anybody that would say differently, maybe works you know, where I used to a Mayo Clinic or something like that, but most places, there's a lot of downtime. And that downtime could be spent home, could be spent with family, can, just, can be spent doing a project that really sort of empowers you to complete yourself. And so, the, but the flexibility in work is not quite there. And when I came back in the workforce and proposed some of these changes, I was, I'll come and do surgery for two weeks. I'll be busy for two weeks. I'll cover every call for two weeks you want me to call. And then the rest, I could be home, see patients, telemedicines, fostering some of this hybrid model is not quite there yet in, in medicine. Now it has forced it, on us during the, the pandemic, um, but it's, uh, I was reading this Harvard Business Review uh, edition last two months ago, where a lot of the tech companies don't even see people coming back to work. They're more efficient, they're happier. Uh, it's a cost effective for them to be home. And so I think healthcare has to find some sort of a happy medium for to adapt. And, um, and then I'd say it, it's to hire more people for the same, not expecting, people to do as much uh, or putting the pressure on them to reach numbers. Um, so it, it seemed like a lot of work, but, uh, but I think ultimately it's to realize that that's a true problem and it, it, it halts uh, people's ability 
or it halts um, a department's progress and it's very costly for a hospital to deal with that. Um, um, you know, there were times where I used to work in Montreal two years ago where we had on a daily basis, eight to 12 nurses that couldn't come to work for various reasons, whether sickness, whether they have to be picking up their shot at school and it was late, it was snowing or whatever it was, it, um, then that has a ripple effect on surgeries. I have to cancel things. Patients are coming and they have to go back home. And so um, realizing that all that sort of resource deficit has a real impact on, on the system and dealing with it with acute solution is not, is not a long-term fixed. Sure. And um, maybe also one of the steps, I mean, I, I talk also, I mean, I, I'm in Amsterdam at this moment and um, <clears throat> we also have a big problem here with, with healthcare. And this has been like more than 10 years um, when many things have disappeared, you know, in, in order to, to give about the same quality, but it's not really the same quality. It's getting less for the patients. Huh? Mm -hmm. So yeah. the numbers are going down. They're, they're spending less money, but the quality is also going down. So, uh, we get to see our doctors less than 10 minutes sometimes, even 15 minutes when we are talking about uh, professionals, or maybe like you, you are specialized. Um, do you think that for people in healthcare that all, I mean, with all the stress they have, this contributes also as well to getting burnt out? I mean, such um, little, actually little time for the patients. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think um, that's a really good insight. The, um, there, I'll answer in a couple of ways, but because I think the, the impact of this is not only just the patient level, but it is also at the physician's level. And as a doctor, and I know a lot of the colleagues that I've reached out throughout this last two years have expressed the same thing, you, it's not like you don't want to spend time with patients. You just can't, you just don't have the time to do it. I mean, I, I just, patients are being added. Um, you're supposed to have a dedicated slot for a patient for 30 minutes, but people are added. And so you end up having more than you can chew for in clinic. And it's not just you, you want to provide a service. And, and sometimes you even have the pressure from the hospital to see more and more and more. And so um, they just can't do it. I, I just can't physically spend much more than that time with once I know in my mind what's going on. Uh, and then we have a plan of action that I think is reasonable. Um, I'd like to learn more about how patients eat, how they are stressed, what's making them um, you know, not sleep. And that because we know that has a significant impact on uh, on heart conditions. Um, but I don't have time. And so I see a blockage. I said, well, that's what we need to do. And then we'll schedule the surgery. We'll see you back in three weeks. It's basically what, what the extent of my consultations are. <laughs> but, um, and then a lot of other people that uh, perhaps dedicate the time to doing that, that are dealing with, I was just talking to a medical practitioner in Quebec recently. I mean, a problem like depression or post-traumatic stress disorder or you know, a divorce or, I mean, it's, it's a hard, um, it's hard thing to, to, to treat or to 
get a formal plan within 10 to 15 minutes. And so they do take the time to do that. And ultimately, it impacts patients, but it impacts them. They end up calling patients on Saturdays uh, between uh, while their child is is watching iPad and getting this, their brains burned out, you know. Uh, but uh, but that's the only time they have to they have to see patients, and then the government is asking for more. And so the system has to change. Um, the expectations have to change. Uh, but the for for sure the ability to to see patients and to not be able to really dig down the roots of why they're coming um, is is not in my mind good medicine because and I and I got tired of and that's why we we are expanding I'm expanding my practice um, um, into functional medicine I, I took some some certificates in the last year and my wife and I have a team up where you have the heart surgery or you're getting heart conditions treated but that doesn't end head there I want to see you back I want to know who you are I want to help you eat better deal better with stress sleep better and there's ways that you can monitor that objectively and so um, but it does require for me to lighten up my schedule on purpose right so um, if you're a busy, active heart surgeon in the Mayo Clinic, I mean, it may take you two weeks to even answer colleagues' emails. Imagine how many, how much time you, you know, you have to spend with. Uh, I, I know a friend of mine will laugh hearing this because I text him, and sometimes it's like two weeks later. I'm like, dude, like, uh, well, he says, you remember what it was? I'm like, yeah, I remember. Um, but, uh, but life is not always. You no, know, it's a matter of choices, right? Um, I rather now treat less patients, but do it better. Um, get to the do it to their cause and spend time with them and get to know them. Yeah, yeah. Well, that takes uh, um, you know taking away the human human part of the story. It's it's, uh, it's nonsense. I mean, we we are we are humans and doctors are humans and we should just talk to each other as human to human, you know, and it's very strange when I go to my doctor and we talk 10 minutes and then I'm out with the medicine in my head. Right. <laughs> I was like, what? Not even. Not even. They email it now to your pharmacy and say, okay, uh, you'll pick it up in an hour. It'll be ready. Maybe uh, see you in like never. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I so. hope to see you not back. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, but uh, yeah, it's a bit, uh, I mean, it's, it is what it is. It has changed to be a bit like that. I, my wife just had a, uh, uh, she visited a place where um, um, they said, well, you know, we don't have time to, uh, to see patients on a regular basis after diagnosis. We usually do it every two months. She's like, two months? So you're seeing patients every two months? Says, yeah, you know, it's a close community and things. And, um, so I never saw anybody more than 18 months later. I mean, we like we she was so booked out and she, for her two months was like providing a super service, you know, <laughs> and uh, and so, yeah, you know, we, we make it work. And so she'll get a laugh out of this, too. <laughs> yeah. Well, Simon, tell me what uh, what are the signs? What can you tell to your colleagues, people who are listening? What are the signs? Where do you have to pay attention and think I have to do something about this? Right. Um, and that's something we, I thought about in the book quite a bit because it's such a um, uh, pretender, right? Um, and if you, um, there's this book I read, it's called The Great Pretender, where it talks about uh, brain disease and how a lot of the has changed in psychiatry where uh, whether it's burnout, 
depression now is recognized as some disease and sometimes it was some other disease that was unrecognized people spent years in mental institution i think the 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 tragedy is is that it's subtle and um oftentimes that's probably more important than um not important i would say but it's more important to recognize early on the um those changes. So I think the bigger one of the bigger one is the lack of empathy. When you when you start not caring anymore, and that's a theme that constantly came back in in some of the interviews I've done over the last two years. When you start not caring anymore, losing a patient becomes another day at work. Um, seeing someone die becomes a way becomes a just to try to try to pass by without looking at it. Um, uh, when you start crying or caring, that's uh, that's to me that's probably an early sign of, of having issues, um, and a lot of people have reported that. Um, the other bigger one, and that that's probably a bit more obvious, is being angry. Ang- being angry, and that was one of my issues. Uh, <laughs> uh, being angry is, and I've learned now, is a um, is like crying, right? It's like an expression of emotions that you can't control, and. Um, and um, and I was constantly angry. I was angry at work. I was angry for. I was angry people because people had complications. Uh, I was angry because a case was added. I was angry because my wife's dinner didn't you know pan out. wasn't ready. Anyway, I was angry a lot, and uh, I was angry myself for being angry. So it's like the, you know, uh, and uh, and being angry is not normal. Being angry is a is a is an emotion that you can't control, and that's and and being bitter, being angry with people at work, and always complaining or, or, or perseverating about, about a relationship or some thing that happened is, is an early sign of, of, of burnout or, or depression or misadapted response to your environment. And of course, there are things that are more obvious, uh, the drinking, the sort of the, uh, uh, we have someone that I know that had a um, maniacal depressive disorder, that kind of disease are a bit more obvious. Um, and then, so it is important that some of these things are, are important to sort of carry. And um, and feeling that you're always in a rat race is 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 another one where um, where if you feel that you can't, you don't have time for anything. Like there's all, it should be a pie. I mean, in psychology, there's a whole you know uh, way to describe that. But um, the pie should be not always concentra- concentrated on work. You should be happy. You should be able to. Uh, divide that pie of life or interests into things that you put value on and not all not every you, no one would put everything on having a money or having a family i mean you sort of have to put a certain percentage on work on may you know on on health and things and so for a lot of people that end up in those situations where they manifest a significant issues they, you go back and you realize that 90 plus percent of that pie was dedicated to work, was dedicated to make other people happy, was dedicated. So all the, the finances, the health, the, the personal the, you know, self-care took very little percentage in, in, that, in that overall pie. And so um, I'm not saying that it's always easy to sort of balance everything out, uh, but having this ability to balance it out or realize that sometimes um, we have to do more work, but sometimes we have to be able to put work aside and and focus on other things. And and the focus on other things is probably a, a, an important one where um, having something else that you care about, I mean, for yourself, whether it's training, whether it's a project, 
Um, for me now, it's uh, helping others through the book or through the coaching, uh, executive coaching. So, <clears throat> so this ability to to value yourself with something else than work is is very critical. And um, and I and I think that once you start doing that, it's not like you're choosing the right thing. Maybe you know writing a book was for it to me, or maybe it's not. But it's your you're shifting your attention to something else, right? Um, and it sort of all of a sudden put things in perspective um, with work, with other things. And so, and so that would be, that would be at least some of the early things there that are subtle changes that I think people um, not willingly recognize the, or signs of things not going well. And then maybe some of the tricks to, to avoid hitting that big sort of uh, fall uh, where where now you really have to invest a year, six months, you know, to, to get, to get better. Um, and, and that is, that is a tragedy, right? It costs money. It's, it's, it's hard on families. People get through things, you know, when you have to stop working because you're in burnout or depressed, um, your whole self has to change. Right. And it, and it's, uh, and it's a, and it's sort of a big deal to, to go through. So, you know, yeah. But I think it's not strange to lose yourself. I mean, if you've been studying like uh, 15 years to become a medic and then you're working and then you're burnt out. I mean, how much time did you have actually to find another part of you? Well, maybe, right. you, yeah, it's very difficult. I've heard this so many times that the biggest uh, challenge is sometimes just to see yourself not, not as a medic or not necessarily as a nurse, but just like a person with other kind of passions, because you don't know where they are. You don't know where they are, and um, and it's uh, you know it, it's th those traits are realizing that those character traits or the way you see yourself are acquired during a critical time of of our of our growth, right? So usually we say most of our character traits are acquired between eighteen and thirty years old, right? Well, for most professionals, that's, I mean, I started to work, I was 32. So that's, that's where the character traits or the misadapted things sort of uh, can, can creep up. And so uh, having the ability to speak about it, you know, and, and then because the reason for which sometimes it gets to be uh, pernicious is that um, those uh, experiences are pushed on us, right? Whether it's dealing with death, whether it's dealing with uh, long work hours, with some sadness or some other, you know, things in healthcare, but our internal maturity to develop sort of adequate um, compensating mechanism or, or adequate character traits are too young to sort of deal with sort of those situations. And so there's a lot of education there to say, well, then those character traits, unless you go through something big, are usually, well, there are different theories, but fixed after 30. So um, unless you you go through through various issues and things and, and and then you sort of have this break from them but um yeah realizing for for population and for the individual that goes through it through education or through constants or reminders that those periods are are, are critical into how you're going to be in the next 30 years dealing with your life at, at you know at, at a, as a whole whether you're going to be compassionate whether you be empath empathetic memory to be able to deal with stress. And so all of these traits are acquired throughout this critical period. Yeah, well, you just told me at the beginning of the interview of people who just decided to do something completely different at a certain point. And uh, well, 
I, I think for some people might be just the only uh, solution. And for some others might be just to learn to cope with uh, the whole and everything as it is. So let's talk about that. Okay, so we are in almost burnt out or we are burnt out. I'm a medic or I'm a nurse. What do I do first? Right. Um, yeah, so what the, I think the first thing to, to do is to take a pause. And that could be that could be different from from one person to the other, um, but it's to really kind of recenter things, uh, think about what's important for you, values, and then make a plan into what's going to happen. Because you were saying earlier, you know, moving to a different um, job or thing, and that's not easy to do, right? So you, you know, you have obligations and things. Um, most people that when you go to these seminars or how to do it, because believe it or not, there are seminars across the country every year that um, physicians and other people attend to learn from people that have done it, you know, and then surprisingly enough, I saw this conference, um, it was 500 people in Chicago that were going to this, all physicians that were sort of going to this conference, how to move away from it, so to speak. And, uh, and that's a lot of people, you know, <laughs> so yeah. for most, for most people, it will be to, um, it will be to start, um, it will be to do this a hybrid model. So there's a couple of ways to get better, right? You can remove the agent completely and say, I'm going to leave medicine and do something else. Um, there's, you can, at most, for most people, the answer will be to adapt to it and sort of um, uh, recognizing the agent, or the thing that make you sort of uh, sick or recognizing the what, right? Sort of what, what is the interaction uh, between the agent and yourself that make, that make it bad, agent being the healthcare system, um, and then changing some things to be in a better uh, harmony with it. And so, um, and for me, that's what it was. And so taking a pause is probably the first step, making a list of things that are important for you. And then um, and then the next step I would say would be to um, take uh, remove some of the things that don't uh, align with your values or your goals, new goals, because my goals were to publish as many papers as I can, you know, be on every podium and, and things. And that's not a, that's not a, I mean, it could be success, I guess, in some ways, but it's not a life success for sure. And so um, removing things that are not directly aligned with your, with your success. Um, the other uh, thing I would say, I talked about earlier is find yourself a pet project, you know, whether it's drawing, painting, whatever it is, writing a book, Things that will distract your mind. Um, you say, you know, if I <clears throat> if I fail at work, because failures are there, even though we don't want them, they're always there, right? Um, and there, you can sometimes have hard time deal with them. They're usually ways to sort of um, shift to something different. But um, but if you have some other project, if you have another way you accomplish yourself in life, it becomes a bit easier to deal with those failures if you sort of distract yourself from being always involved in the same thing. Starting to speak up is probably, uh, it's, a, it's probably not a first thing to do, but um, choose a few people around you that you have confidence in and you feel like you can, um, you feel like you can open up to um, and you can choose what that looks like, but um, about about the way you feel, and uh, and then oftentimes during doing that, you you end up finding that uh, say 
who, who is important for you, but also you'll have other people come to you. And, and so it uh, creates this community of people that, um, that, um, that helps, you know, going through a certain thing, because it's, it's not easy to go through something like that. And, and uh, um, sort of a good example of, of, uh, of how it's not easy to, <laughs> to get the, the other side. It's not, and, and so I guess, and my, so my fourth uh, maybe advice would be to find a way to virus, I call it virus scan yourself. Um, it's totally made up, but, <clears throat> and that means finding a, uh, a way or finding the self-criticism on a daily basis to um, be able to recognize when you're sort of getting off path. And that could be just being tired, not sleeping well, uh, being hungry, uh, being angry, uh, being feeling alone, feeling so fine. It can be even the same time every day if you want it, but it could be after dinner or whatever it is. But finding a time to scan yourself, find there's a bug somewhere that is creeping up again. And if you do that on a daily basis, then it avoids the gaps, right? Where you're six months later and then you don't sleep, you don't eat well, you're tired, everybody's angry, you're in HR, you know, so it's. It's sort of this. Um, it's sort of this way, at least for me, to sort of balance it out and and um, see those. I was reading the book from Matthew McConaughey, who I'm a big fan. Find those red lights quicker, you know, red red light, green lights. Um, um, and if you do this on a daily basis, then then eventually, then um, things are easier to deal with. If it's a short sort of hike back to the main road, that if it's just more of a plane ride back to the main road, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So those are the four most important advices you could get someone. <laughs> and uh, uh, I guess all these advices are, of course, in your book. But tell us, tell us more about your book. What is your book more about? Well, the book is, you know, it's called uh, Healthcare Anonymous. And uh, for those that um, have read the blue book, it's called Alcoholic Anonymous. It's meant to look a little bit like that. So it's, it's, um, it's describing uh, just like alcoholism, the interaction with healthcare or healthcare as a disease. And the book is, uh, is it's kind of funny to describe healthcare disease, right? The system that sort of heals you, sort of makes you sick uh, a little bit. Uh, and I described the book in four stages into how you would describe a disease. Um, so the, the, the susceptibility phase. So we talked a bit about earlier that when you sort of acquire these character traits and the way you start interacting with it to the preclinical phase of the disease where um, where you sort of have experiences, you start being busy, you, you have sort of uh, these uh, exposure to media and the media medialization of healthcare. And so some of these sort of other traits that you pile on the susceptibility. And then we get to the third part where we talk about the, the, the manifestation of the disease and that's burnout anxiety, addiction, death, the um, physical consequences of all the, the things that we've talked about. And the way I, I decided to express that, to be true to the stories is, is a bit like, that's where the book, blue book comes and, and it's a bit like healthcare and uh, alcoholic anonymous, where when you, you discover in the book, in that book where, um, being an alcoholic is not just being on the street drinking a brown paper bag. It's it's the everyday sort of bottle of wine woman that's by herself, you know, with a kid at home. It's the guy that stops by the 
bar on the way back home. So you realize there's a lot of spec, the spectrum is sort of large. And so in the book, um, I've decided to, to anonymously report stories um, of burnout, lack of empathy, change in life. And so we, we represent these manifestation with um, a spectrum of, um, of stories of people from various areas, whether it's uh, general practitioner, heart surgeons, nurses, technicians. And so we have stories of people that are, are willingly have, have contributed to, to the book. And then, and we separate it out in four different uh, manifestations physical, psychological, behavioral, and personal. And so there's four different uh, ways to express what we call healthcare disease. And in the last part of the book, then we, um, we analyze those stories, sort of dissect a little bit the various types of personalities and, and where can we find common grounds to finally end up with uh, what we talked a little bit earlier with the recovery program, uh, where what I, I sort of discussed a little bit to what has helped me um, get over this healthcare disease, uh, this interaction with my, um, with my environment. And so, um, yeah, so that's, that's in a few words with the, what the book's about. Very interesting. I mean, I think that uh, part of uh, recognizing that you are experiencing these symptoms uh, might be very difficult for some people, but it is even more difficult to admit that you have an alcohol problem or any kind of addiction because we don't recognize an addiction as far as socially accepted. Yeah. And, yeah. And I mean, what you say, yeah, you don't have to be lying on every corner to be an <laughs> alcoholic, you know? No, and then, you know, in a different culture, having a couple of vodkas during dinner is normal, right? As long as it doesn't interfere with your personal life or your whatever. And so I, you know, yeah. And for me, I mean, it, it was, my problem was, was at some point alcohol and, um, and I, I was using it as a more of a, um, um, as a way to allow myself to say, well, now I can do it. I can stop by the bar and have a few glasses of wine uh, before going home because, geez, I had a big day. You know, I had I lost a patient or I'm so tired. And so the the consequences of that is, is, is when I was tired, more tired, being tired triggered the need to sort of go drink or having a bad day was a target. And then at some point, just having a day was a reason to go, you know, then you pile up. <laughs> But then you pile on the then you pile on the the parties the things and you end up having a drink every day and so and 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 so while at some I don't think it has never affected my ability to do surgery I mean there's certainly some mornings that were tough and and over time it has made me more tired more angry more uh, less of a per, per, less of uh, my ability to sort of discern or judge were certainly affected and so. Um, I mean, I, I, I drink still, but it's still very, and now it's very controlled. It's very sort of, um, um, it's very directed now, uh, whether before it was just, uh, it was just there, you know, and it creeped up on me. I was 60 pounds heavier. I couldn't sleep. I was drinking. I was angry. I was chasing women. I, and so, and I wasn't valuing the things that I value now. And so, and so, yeah, it creeps up and the dick for others, there'll be other things, right. There'll be, um, we have a great story in the book of our of a of a wife. Uh, her husband's dead, and and um, 
and he was a physician. And she reports how, how his addiction, at some point to alcohol, but how his addiction to extreme sports became dangerous. You know, so extreme sensations, the, the Ironman, the uh, kite surfing, the, you know, so that these, so to escape from work, it's a bit of the same thing as somebody will start taking drugs or something, but his was to go and jump off whatever, you know, whatever that means. And uh, he ended up being so, um, addicted to it that uh and then piling up the alcohol towards the end that he had a he had a heart condition during a race and uh and right before he, he started the race he said um you know what i need to do is take a year off and 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 get better and he died during the race so uh so but she reports that story of how he was like this and so for some that's a, of course a catastrophic you know moment but uh uh, but yeah, you know, I, I, and then she says, I wish he would have taken that year off, you know? And so, so for a lot of people, it's, uh, it's subtle for others. It's not, but allowing to allowing yourself to do some of these things or some of these behaviors is certainly not helping, you know, for sure. Exactly. So it doesn't have to be alcohol, drugs can be sports for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> or money or, you know, yeah, it's, whatever, it's, yeah, whatever it is, whatever it is. So Simon, I think it, it has been a fabulous conversation. I uh, really appreciate your time and you being so open about your book, your life and your experience. Um, is there something that you would have to add to this, um, all that we have said about burnout in general? No, I think uh, I'm excited about the book. I'm excited for people to, um, not, I mean, to, to realize what people, what we go through and how this interacts with no, no it's, it's interesting now i've had I started to have other people other type of business businesses reach out to me to help them and so uh we are we have actually a coaching company and we're taking some of the principles that we talk in the book and extend it to professional athletes uh, i know in, you know that's pretty in the news right now whether it's basketball or hockey a lot of people are suffering uh, whether it's in business, so any of those environments that require sort of this high intensity engagement. Um, I live in Malibu, California now, so it's full of artists and um, and um, actors and things. And we've had some of these, some of that milieu also reach out to say, well, it's this 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 job that I love is solely sort of killing me. How can you help? And how can you make parallels between what you experience and, and things? And so um, this is more of a mini pod of, or I think, uh, functioning a high intensity environment. Uh, we do have a website. It's called healthcareanonymous.com, uh, where you can have more information about the book and uh, and the coaching um, business is breakthroughpoints.com. Uh, and that's, uh, that's, there's more information about, you know, how to, how to succeed in those so difficult times. And so, um, yeah, so no, thank you for the, thank you for the invite. You are very welcome. I will put all the descriptions. I mean, all the, uh, uh websites in the description of this podcast. Absolutely. And I hope many people are going to reach you because it is very important. It's, it's really like five minutes to 12 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> it's been, uh, it's been a, uh, it's been a journey for sure. And I hope I'll be able to, uh, I mean, the book is not to make money. It's to reach as, because you never make money with a book really, but um, uh, but you, I, I, I hope to reach out or start a movement or a community of people that will, as you said, um, emphasize the importance of what we're going through. 
Thank you, Simon. Thank you very much.